And Saul took him that day and would not let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments even to to his sword, to his bow, and to his girdle. I want us to bow our heads here tonight. The title of the message is Covenants That Transform Us. Covenants That Transform Us. And I want us to pray. I know there's already been a moving of God's Spirit, but I believe that the Lord, He's trying to stir us, and not because I'm preaching, but I believe that each and every one of us, that He wants a deeper relationship. I know our pastor preached on this morning about a personal revival, but I want to talk about a personal relationship and the effects of it. So let's just bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, Jesus. Lord, we're thankful, God, Lord, for your spirit that we've already felt in this house, Lord. And we know, God, Lord, that you want to do great and mighty things through each and every one of us, Lord. But in doing so, God, Lord, we've got to be willing to relinquish things. We've got to be willing to pay the cost, Lord. We've got to be willing to give ourselves, Lord, just as Jonathan gave to David. And Lord, I pray, Lord, here tonight, Lord, that Lord, that this message, God, Lord, that be preached in a way, God, Lord, it wouldn't be offended, Lord, but they would be taken to heart, Lord. And I pray, God, Lord, that you would help us to be better men and women called to your service and your duty. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. And uh, I, um, I'm going to kind of brush through some of the quotes. Uh, I ran across, across some quotes that I found I thought that was pretty um, spot on as far as for the message tonight. And one of the quotes that I'm taking out of is John Maxwell's book, Effective Leadership Through Effective Relationships. And um, it says, the basis of life is people and how they relate to each other. And our success, fulfillment, and happiness depend on our, upon our ability to relate effectively. The best way to become a person that others are drawn to is to develop qualities that are attracted to in others, and and um, he goes on to say that they was uh, it says that when special people touch our lives, then suddenly we see how beautiful and wonderful our world can really be, and they show us that our special hopes and dreams can take us far by helping us to look inward and believe in who we are, and they bless us with their love and joy through everything that they give, and when they when special people touch our lives, they teach us how to live. And um, another uh, quote that I come across was John Broger. It says, learning how to love your neighbor requires a willingness to draw on the strength of Jesus Christ as you die to self and live for him. And living in the manner allows you to practice biblical love for others in spite of adverse circumstances or your feelings to the contrary. Uh, just a couple more quotes before I get in. Uh, Joanne Goth says that to treat a person as he appears to be, you make him worse. But to treat a person as if he were potentially what he could be, you make him what he should be. And um, so very true. Uh, Eugene Hussey uh, made the quote that the greatest temptation of our time is impatience. In its full original meaning, the refusal to wait, to undergo, to suffer, we seem unwilling to pay the price of living with our fellows in creative and profound relationships. And let me, I'm sorry, let me go with two more and then I'll be done with the quotes. Uh, Tony Robbins says that some of the biggest challenges in relationships come from the fact that most people enter in a relationship in order to get something. 
They're trying to find someone who's going to make them feel good. In reality, the only way a relationship will last is if you see your relationship as a place that you give and not a place that you go to take. And uh, so very true. And the last but not least, Henry Winkler uh, made the comment that assumptions are the termites of relationships. And I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, because that he has you know, a lot of a lot of relationships has been ruined by assumptions, and um, want to kind of talk a little bit this tonight about Jonathan and what Jonathan was to David, and and uh, I know that we look at this story and it comes down really as a beautiful illustration of of friendship, and it's found in the Old Testament, the story of Jonathan and David. Most of us, if we've been going to church for any length of time. We're fairly familiar with this uh, passage of scripture. We're they're kind of like the model. Um, it's kind of like the model example of a uh, a friendship or a relationship. And uh, I believe that you know the Old Testament is very symbolic. That we can look at the Old Testament, we can only glean from characters. But it just like Joseph was a representation of Christ. I believe that there's things that can uh, shine through the characters. And so we look at First Samuel. And it's the book of Saul's reign. And Saul was the, he was known as the people's choice. We've been kind of going through it through our Sunday school lesson. And so I might hit on some things, but I'll try to be brief with it. And so this man had so much promise. And he was a man of impressive bearing. He was a man that had dignified gifts. And, uh, and you look at this man, uh, you think, you know, he has everything going for him, Saul does. But yet he was a man that corrupted his gifts. And we look at it in the waning years of his life that he, he wound up going insane, that he was in a dark, broading presence, and he was filled with animosity and hostility and, and deluded and thinking everybody was out to get him. You ever been around somebody like that that you feel like that they think everybody's out to get him? I'm sure we've come in contact with a few characters. And uh, particularly, he was thinking that of his young protege, David. And his life really is kind of a tragic story. And we we look at this strange statement that was made. Unless you understand what the writer's saying, we, we know that, that Saul, uh, that God gave, from, gave an evil spirit pres, uh, permission to oppress him. And he gave Saul what he, basically what he wanted. And Saul's latter years were very tragic. And so we look over against the story of Saul and and uh, we see that, you know, David plays a part in that. And, and it's anything but a tragic future for David. And all. David goes through some trials and situations. He, he, he goes through some moments of uh, disappointments and failures. But yet he is a man of the Spirit. He's a man after God's own heart is what he's known as in the Bible. He is God's choice. And his life is played out and kind of against the back black ground of, of Saul's animosity toward God and and uh, of God and toward him. And he's, we see that through those two characters and all, that Jonathan's kind of caught up in the middle. And Jonathan is known as uh, Saul's eldest son, and that he's, a, he's the heir to the apparent throne. And he's a man that had immense or intense loyalty to his father, both not only his father and his king, but he was also loyal to David. Ain't it great to have loyal friends? There's nothing like loyal and genuine friends and all, but they are far and few between. And so as the story develops, we see that the tension intensifies as Jonathan's caught between these two loyalties. And by all rights, Jonathan should have been king. And yet David took his place as 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 King David. And he's anointed king secretly by Samuel in, in Bethlehem. And, and uh, it's only a matter of time before 
they would, uh, before he would take what was Jonathan's rightful place. And I want to go and tell you here tonight that, that love, um, and we see it, that love make, it seeks unity with others. Psalms 133 and 1 says, How good and pleasant is it when brothers come together in unity. But you know what? Jealousy and fear drives people far apart. And we've seen that played out in the Bible, and I even see that played out in in today's society and all. Romans 12 and 10 tells us to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And I believe that it's us as unified in the body of Christ and all, that, that we're not, I know sometimes it can kind of get like, uh, you know, getting caught up in the crosshairs and, and we feel like almost like a big family and we can get into, uh, we can get into tiffs and taffs. But yet, I believe that when, when, when people look at the church, that they ought to be, they ought to say that you know what those brothers love one another. That there is a there is a uh, representation of Christ, and so we begin all the way back in chapter seventeen and fifty seven. If you have your Bibles, First Samuel seventeen and fifty seven. Amen. And it says, and as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took. Him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in the hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son art thou? And thou, thou young man. And David answered, I am the son of the servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. And so uh, we see that, that Saul was more interested in who his son was. He was really less interested in David. And, uh, you know, oftentimes we look at... Um, individuals and you know you can pretty much get a gif uh, a gif of of what their motives and what their thinking is and so uh you know back in those times uh as i read in first samuel and i'll kind of hit on it um and and verse number four and all that there was uh ancient customs that friends would exchange armor in this case david had none to exchange and so jonathan gave him his and uh, customs believed that, that, that their clothes were an outward expression of the man and that the clothes didn't make the man, but rather that a man's apparel was simply an expression of what the man was. And so, essence, Jonathan was given of himself to David when he gave him this armor. And David had already rejected, you remember back earlier that David had rejected Saul's armor. Saul's armor was way too big for David, but yet it was something about Jonathan. And and uh, you look at these two things, and they're kind of noteworthy because we look at Jonathan and David first. The friendship starts with a natural attraction. And I know that there's been things that's blowed this slam out of proportion, and I won't go toward that end of the angle and all, but those people that's kind of um, that's tried to turn it into a, a lover's affair, but that is not the case. When you read Scripture, it, it plainly states how it is, and so we'll, I'll just kind of cut that off from the get-go. But Jonathan felt that there was a great affinity for David as he heard him talk. The conversation between Saul and David, evidently, it was kind of shortening account, but there was just something when he heard David talk, when he seen David's action with, the, uh, with Goliath and all. There was, some, there was like a kindred spirit between both of them. And so Jonathan began to recognize that he and this young man, they, they, was the, they were the same way about things. They thought the same. It wasn't just uh, that they were brought up as warriors and all. They kind of looked at life the same way. And it's nothing, it's, 
you know, there's no greater love than to have a friend or somebody that's, uh, that sticks closer than a brother. We know that the Lord does that with us and all, but yet I believe each and every one of us, we need a Jonathan in our life. We need somebody that's going to encourage us. But not only that, we need to be a Jonathan to some, someone else. It's more than just what we can gain and what we can glean. And I believe that we look at both David and Jonathan, they were both go-getters, and they were willing to, you know, to, to serve and to, to fling their lives and trust themselves to the Lord no matter what it might cost them. And that's, that's um, you know, that just goes to show you how, how valiant um, men that they were, what kind of warriors they was, because they knew that whatever the situation may be, that the Lord would deliver them. They had a relationship with the Lord, and I, you know, I I want to encourage each and every one of you to, uh, you know, to find people that are like-minded faith and all, and and not to be isolated. The devil would like nothing more to isolate us and get us, um, you know, disunified and all, and get us fussing about every little thing. But yet, I believe that that a, a brother can strengthen us uh, in our time of need, and just as the Lord can and all, and so the Lord has prepared those things for us. And so we look back at, at um, uh, we see that not only was it a natural um, attraction and all, but there was more than that. David uh, was explaining to Saul and the victory over the giant. And Jonathan's heart was knit. The Bible said it was knit to the heart of David. And so he made a covenant with him. Now you think about covenants, uh, I know that's kind of a foreign term, but uh, in today's world you look at contracts and uh, contracts are made um, in the best interest. Um, and they, they're made out of a um, uh, more or less a personal interest in what you can gain. But when you look at a covenant, it really identifies who you are, what you stand for and all. And so that's what I believe even here tonight, that, that through that covenant, that there was a transformation not only in David's life, but in Jonathan's life as well. And I believe that each and every one of us, that God's wanting more than just a... Um, just a verbal commitment, but he's wanting a commitment of action. And I believe that that in drawing us closer to him, that he wants us not only to draw closer to him, but also to be a helping hand to others. And so we look at it, it's more or less, it's not just an elementary type uh, sustained friendship. A lot of times we have friendships that come and go, and I know the internet has kind of opened up a world of, of, of sorts, and we have Facebook, and we have Twitter, and uh, all these different outlets. Of course, I don't participate in a lot of them and all, but they're, uh, you know, they're friends and they like like posts that you have. They like comments that you have and all, but yet there's no commitment. And the second thing I want you to look at is that Jonathan, he took his friendship on to the next step. It wasn't some, you know, say, David, I, I, I love, you know, I love, you know, your man of action. You do these things and all, but he was a man of commitment. And and uh, this act was symbolized by giving the, his apparel to David. And um, you look at it in verse number 18, it says that Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him firstly. When you look at robe, uh, that, was, that was really a symbol of position, a symbol of stature. And so Jonathan was basically saying that, you know, I was going to be the next king and all, but yet I'm going to... I'm going to deny my, my position and my stature and all because I want the will of the Lord to be done. Jonathan had a given heart. There was something deep inside him that said, you know what, it don't matter, you know, that I'm not going to be able to be king when Saul, um, when Saul was dethroned and all, and that David was going to wind up being king and all. But there was something inside his heart that had a givenness. And I do believe in this world that there's givers and takers. 
And uh, we fall in one of those categories. I know people said there's leaners and lifters, but I believe that they are givers and takers. And you have to, you have to accept it on your own. Uh, you know, you have to make a own um, notion to yourself, am I going to be a giver and I want to be a taker? And I believe that we look at the life of Jonathan, and Jonathan was asked, you know, what's the one thing that David can glean from? And so he wanted to give himself. And we see that in verse number four. Not only did he give his robe, but he gave it, he gave his garments. And so what does that really mean by giving his garments? Well, Jonathan was a warrior. He was somebody that, uh, that had probably medals and he had, he had had um, uh, achievements and victories. But all those things meant nothing to him because he was, had a willingness to give up everything that he had accomplished for David. And that just goes to show you what kind of character Jonathan was, that he wasn't, he wasn't so set on the things that he achieved. He wasn't so set on what God had, had, had done through him and all, but he had a willingness that he wanted to help David and whatever it might, may cost. And I, I would dare say that, you know, if we want a personal revival, we, we want God to instill in us things that we've never seen before. We got to have a willingness to give not only our position. It doesn't matter if I'm up here preaching or it doesn't matter if, if such and such is up here singing or whatever it may be and all. We got to be for the kingdom of God. We got to be unified as a body. We can't be torn into jealousies and envies and strifes and no matter what, what, what the enemy may try to come against us where we're not able to do certain positions or not able to do certain roles. I believe that it is God's will and plan and purpose that he puts people, he's put, he sits people in positions. He, he lifts people up and he puts people down. And we got to be willing to be like Jonathan to say, whatever the cost, I want to serve. I want, I want my life to be full of purpose and desire. I want my life to be full of God's will and plan and not, not, not what I can achieve, but what the Lord can achieve through me. And, and so we look at the life of Jonathan, and he helped David in so many different ways. And uh, we look at the Old Testament, and there's a concept of a friend that's tied into the idea of a neighbor. And, and um, it says your friend is your neighbor. And we think of a neighbor as a person who lives next door to us. That's, that's pretty common. You know, uh, we, that's, you think about a neighbor, you just think about somebody that's a next-door neighbor. But yet... That is not a neighbor as the Old Testament understands it. When you kind of look into it, you see that my neighbor is the person, next person I meet who has a need. And that's why the rich, when you look at the story with a rich young ruler, and he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responded to him by telling the story of the good Samaritan, the point at which is the next person who is in need. And I believe each and every one of us, there's people in our, even in this congregation and outside these four walls, there's people in need. There's people that need encouragement. There's people that need lifting up. And, and I want to be a selfless person like, like Jonathan. I don't want to look at what I don't have or what I have or what I'm trying to achieve and all. But I want God's hand to be in it. And I want God's hand to be in it in your life as well. And I, I believe that that God's calling us to a deeper relationship. He's calling us to look outside of our own, self, our own selves and what we can gain and what we can glean and how can we be an encouragement to others. Oh, God, help us to be, help us to be selfless. Help us to live our lives according to his purpose and plan that he would have for us. And so we see that not only did he was symbolized in, in, in stripping himself of the robe and he gave... To David, and he gave his garments, but he even gave to him his sword. And you know, you say, "Well, how is that really um, 
important. When you look back in those days and all, there was only two swords and all throughout uh, the Israel uh, land of Israel. Or, land of Israel, uh, there was a sword that uh, Saul had, and there was a sword that Jonathan had. And back in those days, the Philistines didn't want them to have weapons and all. And so that sword was valuable. It was there. It was a sign of self-defense. And so when he gave that sword over, it wasn't something like he was given over as, as something just uh, a merely gift and all. It was something that was of great importance. And I believe that, that if we're going to do something great for the Lord, there's got to be a willingness to give over our, our, our self-defense, our justifications, anything that may hinder God's work and his plan. And so we look at it and we see that not in the sight of Saul, but Saul's animosity grew. And we, we notice in verse number five, it says, And David went whithersoever Saul sent him and that behaved himself wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, also in the sight of of Saul's servants, and he was accepted, but you notice he wasn't accepted unto Saul. He was accepted in the sight of his servants, and that goes to show you where Saul's mind was at. He was full of hate and animosity, and we start seeing things develop, and David came back and from a successful campaign against the Philistines, and the women came out to greet him, and we know the story, and we've been going over in the Sunday school lesson that Saul had slain his thousands but David had slain his ten thousands and it was kind of a really almost like a tactful thing to do tactless thing to do but yet Saul he got so upset and he took it personal and it become a vendetta it become uh you know he had to get rid of David we know the story and how it goes in verse 12 it says now Saul was afraid of David for the Lord was with him but he departed from Saul. And so he arranged, he made arrangements with his younger daughter, whereby she was to be given David in marriage and in the exchange for a dowry, which consisted of four skins and a hundred Philistines. And David went out and slew the number of Philistines uh, that Saul had requested and brought them back to be able to obtain Michael, his daughter. And so we skip down to verse number 30, where it says uh, in 18, it says the prince of princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. And so David, he prospered despite the opposition of Saul. And he became, um, he became, you know, great and mighty. And one of the reasons I believe he became great and mighty was because the ministry that Jonathan had in his life. Jonathan's desire was to give this young man and provide whatever he needed in order to equip him for the war. And this, this thing in mind was, was apparent in Jonathan's life, that Jonathan was the one that should have received the kingdom. He was the one that should have been the heir to the next one in line, but yet Jonathan was careless. He was selfless. He was about his own, own he was about the Lord's goals, purposes in his life, only the desire to see David magnified. I want you to turn over to chapter number 19 that we read it in verse number 1 through 7. And it said, And Saul spake unto Jonathan his son and to all the servants that would have killed David. But Jonathan Saul's son delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seek it to kill thee. Now therefore I pray thee, take heed to thyself into the morning and abide in a secret place and hide thyself. And I will go and stand beside my father in the field where I... Where thou art, and I will commune with my father of thee, and what I see, that I that will I tell thee. And Jonathan spake good of David unto his Saul his father, and said unto him, Let not 
the king sin against his servant. I want you to notice, I want to stop in this particular uh, point right here. It took a lot of gall for, for, for uh, Jonathan to speak good to his father. Now, Saul was an enemy of David and all. He knew the things that was taking place, but yet he stood in his defense. And I want to, I just want to kind of hit on a little bit and I won't kind of, um, I won't kind of camp at it and all, but I, I do believe that it's easy to uh, speak good of somebody that's it's in the presence of them and all. But when they walk away, what is going to be said? And I, I would, I hope that to God that nobody would, there would be no kind of backbiting. There would be no kind of uh, tearing down and all, because we have enough tearing down in our world and our, and our, in our society today, but there needs to be encouragement. There needs to be somebody to stand behind not only our leadership and our elders, but somebody to be able to encourage and to strengthen. And so we see uh, that taking place. We want to kind of go down. Um, uh, I'm going to kind of skip through some of this, I know, because of time, purposes, and all. And so we look at it as in... Um, in verse number seven or verse number five, it says, "For he did put his life in his hand. He slew the Philistine, and the Lord wrought a great salvation for all of Israel that thou sawest, and thou didst rejoice. Where will thou sin against innocent blood, so to slay David without a cause?" And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, "As the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain." And Jonathan called to David, and Jonathan showed him. All these things, and Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. And I, I would dare say that uh, that there was there was fear that take, took place in David's life. I know a lot of times my wife had made the comment earlier today when we was talking and all that. A lot of times we think about David and the uh, his victory over Goliath, and we think about some of the situations that David went through, but. You know, David was fearful. He was placed in the Philistines' camp. It would almost be like, I was telling them, it would almost be like somebody taking us and putting us right in the middle of Russia all by ourselves. Nobody to help us, nobody to defend us. You can imagine the fear that, that went on in David's life, and but yet there was a, the Lord had to, they, he had to strip him of his, uh, of his uh, support system, his his things that he was dependent on. Sometimes the Lord has to strip us of things in order for there to be growth to take place. And so we read in in, uh, in chapter 20, in um, verse number 1, we see that John, it says, And David fled from Naoth in Ramah, and it came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is mine iniquity? What is my sin before the Father, that he seeketh my life? And he said unto them, God forbid that thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will do nothing, either great or small, but that he will show it to me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. And so it's amazing to me when you look at this passage how positive Jonathan was, and, and uh, not only to David, but also toward his father Saul. And he found it difficult to believe that Saul was trying to kill David, but yet when we read on in verse number 3 and 4, it says that David swore moreover and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he said, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord liveth, as the Lord, or as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. And said Jonathan unto David, Whosoever thy soul desireth, I will also do it for thee. 
What a great friend. Whatever that soul desireth, I'm going to do it for you. What a giving heart. What a selfless type person Jonathan was. God help us to be that, have that same mentality as Jonathan had, that uh, willingness that whatever you ask, I'm going to do it. I know we live in a generation that is, that is um, full of individualism and full of materialism and all, but God help us to sweep across this house and give us a, a spirit of Jonathan that we will be willing to meet the needs of others because that's what it's about. It's about loving our neighbors as ourselves. It's about giving ourselves for a cause. It's about giving ourselves for a purpose. That's what Brother Harrelson was preaching this morning, that he wanted a personal revival. And a personal revival is going to cost something. It's never, it's never going to be given to you just by coming to church on a Sunday morning or Sunday night. It's going to be given to you when you spend time on your knees in prayer. It's going to be given to you in times of disappointment. In times that you feel like that, that the rug's been pulled out of, a, out of you, but yet the Lord sees, he knows, and he's going to meet. And I believe that the Lord can do great things when we submit ourselves to him. And so we look at it in 1 Samuel 20, 5 through 8. It says, And David said unto Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I shall not fail to sit with the king at meat, but let me go that I may hide thyself in the field until the third day at even. And if thy father at all miss me, then say, David earnestly asked, leave of me that he might run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. And if he says thus, then it is well, thy servant shall have peace. But if he be very wroth, then be sure that evil is determined by him. And therefore thou shalt deal kindly with thy servant, for thou hast brought thy servant Unto a covenant of the Lord with thee. Not, notwithstanding, if there be in iniquity, slay me thyself, or why shouldest thou bring me to thy father? And so Jonathan has said to David, David, I want to make a covenant with you. I want to, I want to see to it that, that, that all your desires are fulfilled. He wasn't worried about the desires of his own self. He, he said, David, I want to see that all your desires were fulfilled. But he, I want you to do the same for me. I want you to be a friend to me as well. I want you to be the, make the same covenant with me and my family. And the, and the great thing about that, when you read chapters over and you, you read about Jonathan and his son Mephibosheth, and he was a crippled human being, and he, he was dropped when he was uh, a young child and all, but yet whenever Saul got killed, most time in those back in those days and all, when they got killed and all, they would wipe out the rest of their family and all. But yet Jonathan, uh, David extended that courtesy to Mephibosheth because of that covenant that he made with Jonathan. That's the kind of covenant that transforms us. That's the kind of covenant that's going to... It's going to develop personal relationships. It's going to develop that, that personal knit that God's looking for. And so we look at it, amen, and it's 1 Samuel 20 and 30. I want you to flip over. I know I'm giving you a lot of verses, but just stay with me. It says, Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. He said unto him, Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman, do not know that I have that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and to the confusion of thy mother's nakedness. Basically what he was saying is that, you know, Jonathan, you're an illegitimate child. You're not, you're not a, a child of mine and all. You're going against me. You're, you're, um, you know, you're not, you're not somebody that I'm going to claim and all. But yet, David, I mean, that Jonathan knew that it was God's will and purpose 
for him to push David to the forefront because he knew that God had anointed David king, and he wanted to be a part of that purpose and plan. And that's the question I even ask for you here tonight. Are you so caught up in positions, or are we so caught up in achievements, so caught up in things that we can achieve that we totally miss the point of what God has for us? Because you know what, whether it be me up here preaching or whether it be somebody up here doing whatever it may be and all, there will be a purpose behind each and every one of us is that I want to, I want to get behind them. I want God to bless them because I know that in, in praying and doing for others that God is going to bless me in return. Amen. Amen. And so we see that in 1 Samuel 20 and 42, moving on. It says, 41, it says, And as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of a place toward the south, and he fell on his face to the ground, and he bowed himself three times, and they kissed one another, and they wept with one another until David exceeding, exceeded it. And Jonathan said unto David, Go in peace, for as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee. And between my seed and thy seed forever. And he rose and he departed, and Jonathan went into the city. What a great statement that was made. I, I, I just want to encourage each and every one of you to be an encouragement. I believe that there's people that we can impact in our generation and our world today. And I believe that God's calling, everybody wants a Jonathan as a friend, but I'm going to ask even here tonight, who's going to be a Jonathan to someone else? And so we look at it in that standpoint, we see that there was things that was taking place, and we even see uh, that kindred spirit being developed between David and Jonathan. And, and it was true that as long as David lived, that Jonathan would never inherit the throne. And so we go back to verse number 18, verse 4. Not only did he give his self-defense, but he also gave his bow. I believe that that's very, a very pivotal point because his bow was one of his, I would think he was his prized possession. And sometimes when you, uh, you know, sometimes when you, uh, uh, when the Lord asks the things, he's going to ask possessions that you have prize the most or were you willing to give up you think about that rich young man that he wasn't he wasn't willing to sell everything he he had he he you know he he honored and he had all he knew the command knew the commandments knew everything about what he was supposed to do but he wasn't willing to give up what he had and I just want to encourage you here tonight that if you're going to gain uh if you're going to gain uh something from the Lord if you're going to if if you're going to impact someone's life you're going to have to be willing to give some of your most prized possessions. There got to be a willingness to say, you know what? I don't want to be. I don't want to harbor these things because at the end, it, it's going to amount to nothing. And I, I would dare say that I, I went to a funeral this past uh, last week to my aunts, and I seen some aunts and uncles that I haven't seen in a very long time. And and uh, it was good to see them, but yet I, you know, I would dare say there wasn't really much of a personal relationship between them and all because there was been that distance and they they hadn't been that connection uh, with them, and and, um, and so I just started mulling things over, and even in my own aunt's life, and I started mulling things over in my life, and I kind of almost had a flashback of when my granddad got sick, uh, my dad's dad, and he, he was he was bedridden, and he was, um, he, he had a, a, a hospice was there, and I remember my wife, I remember her bringing her keyboard, and, and uh, just remember setting up playing and just talking to him and it's 
And I started thinking about Brother Paul Miller, and I started thinking about, you know, us as a group of men and how we gather together. It's in those moments. Those are the moments that are treasured the most. It's not the moments where you you achieve, you, you ace these tests, or you gain promotions at work, or you gain all these things. But it's in the moments when, when you're, that you're transparent, that you're personal, and you're that you let your guard down. And I remember seeing my granddad crying, and and uh, that meant so much to me, and I still remember that. And, uh, and it just goes to show you that sometimes, the, the, you know, the enemy tries to get us so distracted and chasing rabbits and chasing things uh, every around every corner, chasing the next uh, ambition, the next desire, the next dream, the next goal, whatever it may be. But I want to encourage you here tonight that, it's not about goals, and it's not about dreams. It's about God's plan. It's about furthering his kingdom. It's about letting the Lord use you as individuals to bless others so that they might bless you. And that's the way the body of Christ works. We're supposed to be unified. We're supposed to work together. And so we look over in chapter 23 that David has these parting words in verse number 15 through 18. It said, and David saw that Saul was come out to seek him, to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. And Jonathan's, uh, and Jonathan's Saul's son arose and went to David in the wood. And he strengthened his hand in God. What a great friend. And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find thee. And thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be Next unto thee, and thou shalt also my Saul, or my Saul, my father knoweth. And they too made a covenant before the Lord. And David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. And Jonathan says to David, "That you're going to be king. You're going to see through it." And that's God's ambition, I believe, for each and every one of us that for us to have submissive hearts. They have a willingness to go above and beyond whatever the call of duty may be. Uh, Paul brings these words to minds in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. Do not merely look on your outward personal interest, but also for the interest of others. To have this attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing but to be grasped, but emptied himself. He stripped himself of his reputation. I want you to notice that. He stripped himself of a, of a reputation, just as Jonathan stripped himself of the robes. He stripped himself of a reputation, taking on the form of a bond servant, being likeness, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even as on the cross. And so Jesus, basically in his own words, said that I came not to be ministered to but to minister, to give his life for a ransom. We know the benefits of serving God. We know the blessings of serving God. But yet, when we see what all God has done for us, and we see that God came to minister, Paul says that let this mind be in you, this desire to give, to love, to share our lives, whatever, the cost, whatever it may cost us, the cost of giving up your own soul, that is the secret of friendship, and I, 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 I know I'm kind of an emotional type person, but I believe that, that we need in this world more than ever a willingness just like Jesus did 
is to be symbolic because I, I believe he used Jonathan not only to encourage him in his moments that he needed it the most, in his lowest valley moments. He uses people. Oh, can we be one of those type people that, you know what, I'm going to not look at what I have, but I'm going to look at what I can give. we got to see friendship is not something which incurs on behalf, but something which is extended to us. A friend is someone who is willing to give, is someone willing to share life with. And so we must come to the full realization even here tonight that God has planned so much for us, and we got to be willing to be involved, and that means giving. That means not just giving your money, but that means giving your time. It means giving your efforts, and it means giving yourself whatever it may cost. Proverbs says that faithful are the wounds of a friend. That it will involve the bearing of the burdens and the sharing of life, and it will be costly, but yet that's what stuff is made of in friendship. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you a life of commitment. It's going to cost you a life of service. And I want you to look at the last part in First Samuel 18 and 4. He said not only did he gave his bow, but he gave his girdle. And that's not a girdle. That's something that you wore as, like, or as women wear and all. That girdle held up his weapons. That girdle was the innermost part of his self. And if, if you're going to do a work, if you're going to do something great for the Lord, you got to be willing to give it all, the most inner part of yourself. I mean, nothing holding back. And I believe that sometimes we hold things back because we, we don't want to give. We, we clench our fists. And even myself, I, I have to be, when I was getting even this, this sermon here tonight, I, I have to admit that there was things I looked at my own self, and I said, Lord, I don't... I don't want to clench my fist. I don't want to be have nothing that 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 causes me to to hold back. But I want to give everything, and so that girdle was the last part because I believe that it we have to give the most inner part, and that's what Jonathan did to David. He had a willingness to sacrifice himself. He had a willingness to be a giver at whatever it may cost. John tells us that God so loved the world that He gave, and this was the kind of kind of Lord that we have, that he lives within us, that he gives. We don't have a God that receives. We have a God that wants to form a relationship, but we also have a God wants us to form a relationship with others, and that is personal. It's not something that's just being preached. It's not just something that's just said out of uh, uh, seminaries, said out of lectures and all. It has to be personal. We serve a personal God. We serve a God that was willing to shed himself. You remember even in the prodigal son, that prodigal son, whenever that child came back home and all, that he gave him a robe, gave him the same standing when he came back. That's the sign of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? It don't matter how many times we fall. It don't matter how many times that we're in the miry clay, in the mud, just like that prodigal son, you know, the Lord picks us up and puts us in that right standing because he is a man of no reputation and that he wants to form a relationship with each and every one of us. I want us to all stand here tonight. I know I've been kind of longer than what I normally am, but I, I believe that Lord's stirring hearts. And I know that Brother Harrelson preached about a personal revival 
But I'm preaching about personal relationships, and that's where it's going to be. If you're going to win souls, you're going to have to be a willingness to be inconvenienced. You're going to have to be a willingness to shed jealousy, to say, you know what, I'm doing it for a purpose. I'm not doing it for what I can obtain, no matter who may be up here, and no matter what the cost may be. I want us to bow our heads here tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I know probably I probably didn't do the best presentation, Lord, but I know, God, Lord, that you have been in this house, Lord, and I know your hand is upon your word, God, Lord, and your, your word doesn't go without void. And, Lord, God, Lord, that you, that you, you shed abroad the love, God, Lord, toward our hearts. You give us revelation, Lord, even yet when we're not even worthy to be, Lord, in the position that we're in, God, Lord. You show grace and mercy. You graft us in. And I pray, God, Lord, even here tonight, God, Lord, God, Lord, that you would help us to see not just the flaws and faults of other people, God, Lord, but you would help us, God, Lord, to be givers, Lord, because that's what you called us to be. You called us, God, Lord, to form personal relationships. Help us to be Jonathan's, no matter what it may cost us. In Jesus' name, I'd like for every one of us to come across this front. I don't want us to pray for ourselves, but I want us to pray for each other. Because we are the body of Christ, and we're to be unified. And I know that sometimes that we we find faults, we have things that we we have rifts and arguments. But yet, I believe that God's wanting to join us together to do a work for Him in Jesus' name.